Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. I have been studying relationships for over 20 years as a couples therapist, a professor, an award-winning author, and as a wife, mother, daughter, sister, and friend. Now, I'm inviting you into this space each week as I dig into some of the toughest and most fascinating relational dilemmas of our time. If you want to discover how to create vibrant and loving relationships in your own life, you have come to the right place. This is Reimagining Love. Welcome to another episode of Reimagining Love. This week and next week, we are talking about breakups. You know, a few years ago, I was talking with one of my students in my undergraduate class, Marriage 101, about what made her decide to sign up for the class. And usually when students are sharing with me their motivation for taking the class, they say things like, you know, my parents divorced when I was growing up and I want to make sure I heal that and stand a chance of doing it differently than they did. Or they say, I just went through a breakup or I'm just curious about love. But she shared a different kind of response. She shared with me that she wanted to take this class so that she would be ready for her next breakup. And there was a part of me when she said that, that felt really sad. You know, as she was thinking about the trajectory of her love life, she was thinking about endings. It sort of seemed cynical or fatalistic to me. But there was another part of me that felt so impressed. She was being realistic. Not very many of us marry the first person that we date. So learning how to end well is a necessary skill. So in that way, her motivation for taking the class was so empowering. I think that our cultural, highly romanticized notions of love keep us in a kind of denial. We don't want to talk about breakups. In some ways, it parallels our cultural phobia of talking about death. We avoid that which feels scary and unknown to us. I think we worry that talking about breakups will increase our chances of experiencing a breakup. I think we worry that focusing on the so-called negative aspects of dating and relationships will leave us feeling negative or jaded or cynical. But I trust us to do both. I trust us to believe in the potential of long-term love and learn how to end with skill and grace and awareness. So we are going to do just that. Today, we're going to talk about how to get closure after a breakup. And next week, we will talk about how to deal with breakup regret. First, I want to clarify a couple of terms that I'm going to use in this episode and in our next episode. So at least in English, we don't have a word that means the person who initiated the breakup. And we don't have a word that means the person who was broken up with. So when I'm teaching about breakups, in order to keep it simple, I use the word lead for the person who initiated the breakup, and I use the word follow for the person who's been broken up with. And those are the terms that I'm going to use on these episodes of Reimagining Love. And I use those words knowing full well, first of all, that breakups are inherently messy and the person who makes the final call on ending may not be the person who began the conversation about potentially ending. And I use those terms also knowing full well that many of the themes that we're going to cover in this episode and the next episode 
apply to both positionalities, both the experience of the lead and the experience of the follow. The second thing I want to say right up top is that breakups are highly idiosyncratic. There are as many breakup stories as there are people going through a breakup. So my goal with these episodes is to address a couple of common themes. And some of these elements are going to fit squarely into your situation. And some of these elements may not feel particularly helpful at all. So as always with Reimagining Love, I want you to take what serves you and leave the rest. And depending on your relationship with breakups, these episodes might really feel quite tender. So listen, put me on pause, come back to me later. And just notice, you know, pay attention to what's happening inside of you as you listen. So, okay, let's dive in. Let's talk about how the heck you get closure after a breakup. And I'm going to start by talking about what we get wrong about closure. So the harsh reality is that breakups hurt. Breakups hurt because we are profoundly relational creatures. So the loss of someone we were in intimate partnership with hurts. And you are hurting in a breakup because you are human, because you loved and you risked and you stretched and you cared and you shared experiences with this person. You are not hurting because you are weak, silly, broken, or damaged. You hurt because breakups hurt. And a broken heart feels like a call to action. Sitting with pain is incredibly uncomfortable. And intense emotions tend to trigger fearful thoughts. What if I become depressed? What if I don't recover? What if I never love again? What if this breakup means somehow that I am unlovable? And when we have all of that stir, the stir of the emotions, the stir of these fear-based thoughts, it creates an urgency. We want to do something with all of that stir. And the finality of a breakup, especially if you are the follow, that finality, that sense of helplessness can make us feel quite confused about what exactly we can do. And so then there's a way in which seeking closure, a frantic attempt to seek closure, ends up feeling like something we can do. At least that's an action we can take. We can go out there, we can try to seek closure. And an action can feel preferable to just being with our pain. So I think that's why we get all of this kind of urgency around, I have to get closure, I have to get closure. I think also there's a vision of closure that people have. People commonly think about closure as something that you gain via conversations with your ex. There's this vision that people have of sitting down with their ex and getting answers to their burning questions. Questions that, quite frankly, may be waking you up in the night. Questions that might be distracting you when you're trying to do your work. Questions like, how long did you know that you wanted to end the relationship? Did you ever really love me? What did this relationship mean to you? Is there someone else? Why didn't you take my concerns more seriously? Why didn't you tell me about your concerns? And on and on and on. These questions that are kind of knocking around inside of your brain. When you imagine closure, you may also be imagining that this conversation with your ex would give you a chance to talk about your experiences, that you might have a chance to be witnessed. You might have a chance to explain your side of the story, to explain yourself. You might have a chance to have your pain seen and heard and understood by your ex. Perhaps when you envision a closure conversation, You may like kind of find yourself moving back and forth between a desire to prove how you've been wronged and a desire to prove to them that they're wrong, that they're making a mistake by ending this relationship. So I want to start by validating the heck out of your desire for answers and your desire for witnessing. A desire for answers and a desire for witnessing are wholly reasonable responses to pain. It makes a ton of sense that in the wake of so much pain, you would want clarification and you would want validation. That makes sense. And in an ideal world, 
I think that couples who are breaking up would have a kind of process, a kind of relational, mutual process or ritual for ending well. You know, it's kind of ironic that we create so many rituals around engagement and marriage. We have ceremonies and rituals, but we don't really have anything that ritualizes the endings. And I know there are people who do create rituals around endings, and we will in a future episode talk about what ending rituals can look like. But here's the deal. It's kind of this like strange irony. It's precisely the chaos of a breakup that creates the need for answers and witnessing. And at the very same time, it's precisely that very same chaos of a breakup that tends to keep people from being able to create a process for answers and witnessing, right? It's like the thing that we need because of the emotionality is the thing that we can't get because of the emotionality. So maybe in part, this episode and the next episode are my desire to create space for breakup education, because if we understand more how to end, what relationally self-aware endings look like, then perhaps we can create mutual relational processes for closure and ending with grace and care and awareness. But in the world we live in now, perhaps your chances are relatively small that you are going to be able to have that kind of a process with your ex. But I suspect that you want this kind of closure so that you will start to feel less pain than perhaps you are feeling now, so that you can begin to put this chapter in the rearview mirror and begin to move ahead. That desire for closure is a desire to be done to be done with the questions, and to be done with the emotions. I want to invite you to reimagine closure. Rather than thinking about closure as doneness, I want you to think about closure as wholeness. In breaking up with you, your ex takes nothing from you. You were whole before you met them. You were whole during every moment of your relationship with them. You are whole in the wake of losing them, in the wake of this ending. Nothing has been taken from you. You are hurting and you are whole. You are confused and you are whole. You are unsteady and you are whole. Your worthiness is not on the line. Your worthiness is inherent, asked and answered, not up for debate. You are worthy as you are right now period, end of story. Therefore, if closure is wholeness, not doneness, this means that closure is a process that belongs to you. Closure is a process that begins and ends with you, your practices, your relationship with you. Closure is your journey away from whatever blend of tender emotions you're experiencing, shame, anger, sadness, fear, and towards ease and calm and clarity. I do not want you to wait around for your ex to give you the closure that you are wanting or needing. Why not? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I have three reasons why I don't want you waiting around to get closure from your ex. I want you to let go of this idea that closure is something that your ex provides you with or gives to you. Three reasons why. Number one, because seeking closure from your ex is going to create inside of you feelings of powerlessness, which are going to keep you emotionally stuck, right? If you imagine that closure is something that they give to you, then you are powerless until and unless they decide to give it to you. And as the follow, as the one who's been broken up with, you have already had your sense of agency challenged. You are already dealing with a reality that is not of your choosing. Something has happened to you. Something has been done for you. A choice has been made by somebody else that affects you profoundly. And in that way, Seeking closure from your ex likely is going to feel resonant to that part of you that feels so helpless and so out of control. And therefore, seeking closure from your ex is going to reinforce and amplify your feelings of helplessness. 
as hard as it is, I want you to be looking for and cultivating experiences for yourself that are contrasting, experiences that stand in contrast to your feelings of helplessness. I want you to be cultivating for yourself experiences of agency, experiences of power, experiences of choice, experiences of feeling like your feet are on solid ground because you put them there. Second reason I don't want you to wait for your ex to give you closure is because your ex may not have answers to your questions or the capacity to witness your pain. If your ex is at the upper limit of their relational self-awareness, they aren't holding out on you or depriving you. They're simply unable to give you what they don't have. They can't give you answers to questions that go deeper into themselves than they have gone, right? If you're asking questions about why and how and what if, but they don't have much sense of interiority. They don't have much ability to self-reflect or be curious about their motivations, about how their past wounds have gotten triggered in this relationship, about impact of their earlier family of origin experiences. If they haven't done that work, if they are refusing to do that work, then they aren't holding out on you. They just can't give you that which they do not have. This is incredibly frustrating and it is very sad, but your persistence can't make it different. And by the way, even if your persistence could make it different, I still would not want your energy spent on coaching your ex on how to be present with you in a process of closure. I would rather have you spending your energy on cultivating a deep connection to your wholeness. That's my preference in terms of how you use your time and your energy is to be connecting with yourself, accessing your sense of wholeness. Third reason I don't want you seeking closure from your ex is because your ex may not have the willingness to answer your questions or bear witness, right? So second reason was they may not be able to. Third reason is they may not be willing to. Very often in a breakup, partners have pretty radically different stories or at least somewhat different stories. You very likely don't have the same story of your relationship and of your ending as your ex. You have probably different conceptualizations of who was wronged, of who fell short, even perhaps different conceptualizations of who betrayed whom. Therefore, your ex may have no interest or willingness to go through a process of closure with you. They may feel too hurt. They may feel too wronged. They may feel too mad. Now, these strong emotions of theirs may be self-protective. Those strong emotions of, I'm the one who's hurt, I'm the one who's been wronged, I'm the one who's been betrayed, those strong emotions might be ultimately self-protective. They might be keeping your ex from examining the impact of their own actions. But again, you can't be in charge of that. You cannot be in charge of their process of relational self-awareness. You can't make it different for them. Your work is to let go of their narrative and to really, really take ownership of your narrative. You can't make it different. Their strong emotions might be leading them to create a very rigid boundary with you, one that your persistence is likely to simply reinforce, right? So it becomes this tug of war where the more you say, you owe me explanations, you owe me answers, you owe me a chance to talk about what happened, the more you do that, the more they may become even more convinced that they aren't going to sit down with you, that they don't owe you anything. And it's not really ultimately about who owes what to whom. It's really ultimately about who's available and who's willing. And if your ex is saying, I'm not interested, I'm not available, I won't or I can't, your best and bravest move is to start to take back your energy. So waiting for your ex to have the capacity or the willingness or the ability to create closure with you is going to have the effect of keeping you stuck. You're giving away your power. It's risky. It's also not necessary because you have everything that you need to create closure. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. 
Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Kraftchik and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. So if you are letting go of the idea that closure comes from your ex and you are instead embracing the idea that you create your own closure, what does that look like? How then do you create closure? One word, grief. You create closure by grieving, by turning towards the tender feelings, by letting yourself cry when you feel tears pressing up behind your eyes, by dancing it out, by stomping and growling the sadness and the anger, by writing the story of your loss, a story that, by the way, will then get to become the story of your renewal. And by relating to yourself as somebody who's going through a thing, a difficult thing, a human thing. Grief is an embodied process. It's one that's happening inside of your body because everything we experience, we experience through our bodies and in our bodies. There's simply no other way. We are humans in these bodies. So everything we experience, we experience through and in our bodies. So grieving means tending to your body with nourishing food, with routines for sleep and movement, with social support. So in that way, closure is about caring for yourself while you're having a hard time and knowing and trusting and believing that letting yourself have a hard time means not attempting to shrink the size of your grief with any or all of the following unhelpful and self-abandoning thoughts. You ready for them? Unhelpful and self-abandoning thoughts sound like this. We were only together for X number of weeks or months or years. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I'm better off without them. I should have seen this coming. This is all my fault. I'm never going to find love again. I've wasted my time, etc., etc., etc. These thoughts are the opposite of you caring for you. These thoughts are you, in fact, abandoning you in your time of need. You can't prevent thoughts. Thoughts happen. But what you can do is get wise to them. You can start to notice when one of these sneaky buggers is running rampant in your mind. You can notice, aha, there's that thought. There's a radical difference between being in the thought and noticing the thought. So that is a huge practice you can do is noticing when one of these unhelpful, self-abandoning kinds of thoughts is sneaking up on you. It's all my fault. I'm better off without them. I should have seen it coming. These kinds of thoughts are attempts to distort and shrink your pain. So when you notice one of these thoughts sneaking up on you and starting to increase your emotional intensity, Right? These thoughts tend to have the effect of making us feel more angry, more sad, more scared, more ashamed. When you notice that kind of back and forth between your thoughts and your feelings, put one hand on your heart, one hand on your belly, and just take some deep breaths. Come back to this moment. I'm going to share with you two images that capture the journey of grief. And I want you to see for yourself if either of these images might be helpful to you in terms of giving you kind of a visual for how you can hold and work with your grief. The first image is imagining grief in the beginning as this huge suitcase that then becomes a smaller suitcase, that then becomes a bag, that then becomes a small bag. So the idea that with time and tending, grief becomes lighter 
and easier to carry. So we still carry the grief with us, but it becomes less cumbersome. It becomes a bit easier to carry. The second image of grief that I really like is imagine a box and inside of that box, like on one of the inside walls of the box, there's a button. And inside the box, there is a ball. And the ball is very nearly the size of the box. And so as the ball is moving around inside of this box, the ball is going to press the grief button all the time because the ball fills up most of the space inside of the box. Okay. And then with time and tending, the box itself becomes larger and larger and larger and larger. So the grief trigger button is still there, but as the ball bounces off the sides of the box, it less frequently activates the grief trigger button because the box itself is more spacious. And so as you move your grief through you, you create more capacity for life to do what life does, right? That grief trigger button doesn't get triggered quite as frequently as it does in the beginning. The next aspect I want to talk about in terms of closure is the fact that closure is not about the absence of pain. I don't know that the pain ever goes away or needs to go away. So I want to talk instead about something I call the pain to pang transition. So if closure is about wholeness, it's about the whole of you, all the facets of you, your hopes, your fears, your wins, your losses, your gifts, your growing edges. This means that you are moving towards closure when the edges of your grief become a little bit less jagged, when there are longer stretches of calm between your bouts of deep emotion, when you find yourself beginning to look more through the windshield than in the rearview mirror. But you may never feel 100% neutral about your ex. Neutrality is not a requirement of healing. You may always feel a pang when you're met with a reminder of your ex or when you see something of your ex or when you see your ex. So a pang is a shift from emotionally neutral to feeling some kind of a way, nostalgic or wistful or tender or sad or remorseful or even regretful. So if we think that getting over someone means that we feel nothing when we think of them, then we are, of course, going to keep reaching outside of ourselves for closure. By contrast, when we feel like we are the sturdy caretakers of our own inner worlds, then we can simply notice that we're experiencing a pang. That pang isn't diagnostic. That pang doesn't have to mean that we're a mess or the situation is a mess or that something's wrong with us. Instead, when we really do increasingly trust ourselves to be the sturdy caretakers of our own inner worlds, we can trust that all the different facets of our emotions are all part of our wholeness, that we are whole precisely because we have all these different facets and nuances of our emotional experiences. And so we notice that the initial pain of the breakup slowly over time becomes more of a pang, but we allow the pang rather than saying, uh-oh, there's a pang, it must mean that I'm not doing this breakup process the right way. It must mean there's something that's not done, that's unsaid, that I have to go to my ex for. There must be something that we haven't processed yet. No, it doesn't mean any of that. It just means that neutrality is not a requirement of healing. We may always feel some tenderness when we think about or when we see our ex. Neutrality is not a requirement of healing because love does not leave us where it finds us. Because the self is relational, relationships shift who we are and how we experience the world, right? We're different coming out of a relationship than we were before the relationship and even who we are during the relationship. Two examples. One of the leading writers about divorce in the field of family therapy, Dr. Mavis Hetherington, described that people who are going through a divorce report a sort of not me feeling. 
they feel like not quite themselves. So that idea of the sense of self being disrupted, feeling not really like yourself. And then Dr. Eli Finkel, who you've heard on Reimagining Love in the past, he studied people who are going through a breakup. And what he found is that when you give people a measure of self-concept clarity, in other words, how much they feel like they know and understand themselves, their self-concept clarity score drops as they're going through a breakup. And by the way, perks back up again, you know, post breakup. But that experience of going through a breakup and being in the immediate wake of a breakup really does compromise your sense of feeling like you know who you are as a person. That's profound, right? Your very sense of self is being grappled with. It's being worked. So of course, expecting neutrality doesn't make sense then, right? If going through a breakup is as profound as to lead us to having questions about who we are as a person, then of course, there's always going to be some residual amount of pain in that space of where that relationship was. And by the way, that sense that you've been changed by the experience of having loved and been loved is true no matter the length of the relationship. It's true no matter the type of the relationship. It's true no matter the quality of the relationship. Your ex is likely somebody with whom you shared intimacy and jokes and rituals and adventure. These experiences shifted you. So it's wholly understandable that your ex will continue to carry some measure of charge for you. Your ex is now, like everyone who loves you throughout your life, a memory keeper for you. They have memories of you that live and will continue to live inside of them. So how could you feel neutral as you hold this awareness that they're off somewhere doing something else and they have memories of you inside of them? They've not taken those memories from you, but you're just aware, right? That that's happening. As you are working on rebuilding your life and moving forward, you have that awareness. So what I'm validating here is that there's a separation, especially if you are the follow, it's a separation that you did not choose. So I validate that a measure of yearning remains. Does that mean you can't love again? No. The work of relational self-awareness is about creating and nurturing that internal capacity to hold complexity, to hold contradiction. In fact, I believe you can fully love and will fully love your next partner and experience some measure of paying about your ex. Those two things can be held inside of you. Why? Because you are whole. You have got the capacity to hold that both and of I am deeply present to build a new relationship with this new person and I don't feel exactly neutral about my ex. You don't have to be done. You just have to be able to rest in that awareness that you are whole and part of being whole means that you've got emotional complexity that lives inside of you. So I want to move on now to some action steps. Because you are now being tasked with creating closure for yourself, right? The whole focus of this episode is helping you empower yourself to create closure. So, okay, you're empowered, but you also have some tasks. I want to talk about two kinds of boundaries that are going to help you recover from your breakup boundaries with your ex, and boundaries with your family and friends. Of course, there are exceptions to every rule, but if I had my way, I would want you to end all communication with your ex. Can exes be friends? Sure. Can being friends with your ex perhaps be a defense against grief, one that perhaps prevents you from being able to access the closure that you seek? Also, sure. Is there going to be a whole episode of Reimagining Love devoted to this question of can you be friends with your ex? Also, sure. But for right now, if you are brokenhearted, the last thing that you need is ongoing contact with your ex. So think about your breakup like a wound. Space from your ex and caring for yourself as you grieve helps to create a scab over that wound. And that scab is what becomes a scar. When you are in communication with your ex, 
you're sort of picking at that scab, the communication, the experience of seeing them or talking to them or texting with them. Those experiences, those contact points, pick at that scab, delaying your healing and creating risk of infection here. Infection equals emotional stuckness. And further, I really want to invite and challenge you to think about communication with your ex in a holistic kind of a way. As we said before, breakups are idiosyncratic. So this may not be possible, but to the degree that it's possible, I would like you to avoid meeting up with your ex. I would like you to avoid socializing with your ex, even in a large group. I would like you to avoid talking on the phone or FaceTiming or texting with your ex. Here's the tough one. You ready? I would also really like you to clean up your tech boundaries. So not just the boundaries of seeing them in real life or communicating with them in real time, but also really looking quite specifically and quite diligently at all of the virtual tech-based boundaries that you are needing. This might not be what you want to hear, and it might be really, frankly, difficult for you to imagine doing but I would like you to just hang in there with me and consider it. If I had my way, I would like you to block them on social media and I would like you to unfriend them. By the way, for the record, I really, really don't like the harshness that we have woven into those words, blocking and unfriending and unfollowing. These are harsh words, at least in English, they're harsh words. I'm not sure what the words are in other languages, but there's a kind of harshness, right? About blocking and unfriending and unfollowing. These are not harsh acts in a breakup. These are appropriate acts. These are acts, in fact, of self-preservation, of necessity, of grace. Our brains do not know the difference between seeing someone in real life and seeing someone online. So these tech ties are potentially as powerful as any other ties. Seeing your ex in your feed may have the same effect on your brain as seeing them in real life. And now here's the part where I'm about to be a total stickler. I really do want you to unfollow rather than just simply mute. I know somebody who muted their ex on Instagram so that she could not see his posts and his stories in her feed. And this was helpful. But then she needed to get honest about a sneaky loophole that she had left herself. She knew that he could still see her posts and her stories. And when she got really honest with herself, what she realized was that she was curating her feed in a particular way, posting images that conveyed to her her ex that she was moving on with her life, that she was having fun. So this desire of hers to manage his perception of her was keeping her stuck. She was having a hard time moving on because even just a part of her brain, it wasn't her whole brain, and even though she wasn't seeing his stuff, Part of her brain knew darn well that he was seeing her stuff, and that was an energetic tie. And that energetic tie was enough to perpetuate that stuckness and that going round and round about why and what if and why not. It was really, really hard for her to unfollow him because there was such a finality to it. But it was ultimately her belief in her entitlement to feeling whole and aligned that won out over her desire to live in a particular way inside of his mind. Cleaning up your tech boundaries with your ex also means things like removing your access to their location services, if you have those still. It means removing access to their ring camera, if you have that, access to their Venmo, access to their Zelle. When you know their whereabouts or what they're doing or what they're buying, That's an energetic tie, and it's one that puts you at risk for ruminating. It's one that puts you at risk for staying stuck. If you're feeling like what I'm asking of you is way too much, just pause a little bit and check in with yourself. You can use this question to guide you. What is keeping you from cutting off contact with your ex? 
one hypothesis is it is that feeling of finality for you, right? That you are just resisting that kind of finality. If that's the case, what might it be like for you to try to reach, to stretch, to challenge yourself, to trust your own sturdiness? What if you can actually handle more than you think you can? Another hypothesis about what might be keeping you from cutting off contact is perhaps for you, it's a fear that needing or creating or valuing a clear boundary means somehow that you're weak or dramatic. Do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes people resist creating all of these boundaries because they feel like, oh, I shouldn't need these boundaries. Like I should be able to handle seeing their Venmo. I should be able to handle seeing their Instagram stories. If that's the case, then blame it on me. Throw me right under the bus. I'm totally fine with that. I think there's immense pressure on people, especially younger people, to present themselves, to act as if they're able to be chill or unfazed or undramatic. So then these kinds of boundaries, especially these sneaky tech boundaries, end up feeling dramatic, like not necessarily, like I shouldn't need this. Well, I'm sitting here suggesting that you do need it, that actually healthy, clear, robust, comprehensive tech boundaries are necessary, they're adaptive, they're healthy. One final suggestion is that if you're feeling really pissy with me right now, because you know darn well that you have left yourself a loophole or two, especially in the realm of technology, first thing, just be gentle with yourself. This is hard and it's sneaky and it's subtle. So just first of all, be gentle with yourself. And second of all, maybe perhaps consider creating a little ritual for these kind of final cuttings of the ties that you need to do. You could, I could imagine, bring in some reinforcements, you know, and just get it done. Have a friend come over, light a candle perhaps, you know, and then clean up your phone and clean up your laptop or do it during a therapy session and then celebrate that you are a breakup badass because this is brave and difficult and necessary. Creating and enforcing clear and firm boundaries with your ex is not an act of cruelty. It's not a disparagement of what was. In fact, by contrast, clear boundaries reflect the seriousness of the ending and reflect the seriousness of the relationship that you had. Clear boundaries set you both up for closure. Is it sad? Yes. Is it necessary? Also, yes. The final angle I want to explore before we wrap up today is creating closure via boundaries with your family and friends. If you are the follow, the one who's been broken up with, I want your family and your friends to circle you up and love you as you are hurting. I certainly want that. I want them distracting you. I want them checking up on you. I want them bringing you soup or whatever makes you feel nurtured when you're down. I do not want them to rush in with any or all of the following very common friends and family responses. I do not want them rushing in with any version of, I told you so. I told you she was going to break your heart. I told you men are trash, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I also don't want them rushing in with any version of, you're too good for them. You're too good for your ex. I don't want them rushing in with any version of, let's get you wasted. And I don't want them rushing in with any version of the best way to get over someone is to get under someone else. Yes, I get a bit judgy about how people show up for you, but that's largely because the breakup experience of the follow is so much harder when family and friends do any of those things I just described. Why? Because those things I just described, those kinds of responses are ineffective. They don't work in terms of helping the follow begin to heal and move on. Why not? Because of Newton's third law of physics, which is for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If your people are doing the whole, I told you so thing, that's going to just set you up to explain to your people the evidence to the contrary. No, that's not true. You don't get it. She was a great partner. You don't get it. You know, the moment that your people start taking one side of the teeter totter, you are going to just by pure physics alone 
take the other side of the teeter-totter, right? If they start to say, I told you so, you're going to start to say, no, they were great, right? And that's going to move you away from closure and towards stuckness. Same thing, quite frankly, if your people are telling you that you were too good for your ex. This is a really sneaky one. The moment somebody in your world says you're too good for your ex is the moment that you're going to step in with, no, you don't get it. They really were a good person. They really were misunderstood. They really did try. You're going to start taking up for your ex, again, based purely on physics alone. It's going to have the unintended effect of perpetuating your stuckness. If your people want to get you wasted or high, I think that can oftentimes come from a, you know, a, a loving, a well-meaning place. They want you to just kind of feel better even just for a moment. But they are just sort of enabling you to block your healing. Unfortunately, your broken heart is going to be right there waiting for you when you sober up. So it's another kind of misguided attempt at coping or helping you cope. And the last one, if your people want to get you laid, same thing, right? Your people are setting you up to have kind of a too much too soon experience. Listen, you need and deserve to reclaim your erotic self post breakup a thousand percent. I'm here for that. I'm here for you trusting because your ex takes nothing from you because you were whole before, during, and after this relationship, your sexuality remains one thousand percent intact. Your ex does not take your sexuality with them in any way, shape, or form. But you deserve to make mindful, intentional, clear-eyed choices about whether and when and how you have sex again, right? And so if your crew is circling you up and saying, let's get you laid, let's get you, the best way to get over someone is to get under someone, that whole mantra, that whole mindset is priming you to kind of overwhelm yourself, to get into a situation that may feel like too much too soon and have the opposite, that kind of counteracting effect of getting you more stuck. The more you rush into something because you feel like you should or because your crew is telling you you should, the more you rush into that, the more it's going to have that kind of counterbalancing effect of pushing you back into those feelings of loss versus if you step back into sexual experiences in a mindful, thoughtful, step-by-step way, that's going to help you be moving forward, moving towards healing. I think that these misguided attempts that friends and family oftentimes rush in with, they reflect a couple of things. They reflect first and foremost that it is really freaking hard to see somebody that you love in pain. So I have every confidence that the people who love you hurt because you're hurting. And so all these things they might be throwing at you to try to help you feel better, they're well-intentioned because they are, they're hurting because you hurt. They hate to see you hurt. It's just frustrating that we push these strategies that kind of seem like they should work when the thing that we could do that really does work is just show up, just be there. I want your family and friends to trust the power of their presence. And I think that's the second thing. I think these misguided attempts also reflect that we collectively struggle to trust the power of holding space for each other. When your family and friends are trying to show up for you or trying to help you feel better, they think that that means getting you to do something different, think different, feel different, act different, rather than them trusting that the best thing they can do is just be present with you, just show up, just hold space. What you really need, I suspect most of all, is witnessing and love and presence. This means, of course, that when you're in the wake of a breakup, you need to be and you get to be discerning about who is and who is not part of your healing team. You don't need everyone. You just need a core person or two or three who can stay near you as you hurt and as you process. So here's what you can do. Ask for what you need to the degree that you know what that is, right? So you can advocate for the kind of support that you think would feel good for you. And one day it might be, I need to be distracted. Can we go to the gym? Another day it might be, I need to talk about my relationship. Can you just listen to me for a while? So to the degree that you can 
ask your people for what you need. Also, you can empower yourself to say no thank you to that which resembles misguided support. If your crew, you know, is like, let's go get wasted, you can say no thank you. You don't have to be a yes. So again, pay attention, trust your wholeness, pay attention to what's happening inside of you. If it's feeling like a no, then advocate for that. No, thank you. And then the last one would be to make sure that you do say thank you, express your gratitude when your people are showing support in a way that feels nourishing for you what we focus on, we get more of. So make sure that when somebody is showing up for you in a way that feels good, let them know that it feels good and let them know that you see their efforts, you appreciate their efforts. Bottom line is that creating closure for yourself also involves your commitment to practicing healthy boundaries with family and friends, even the well-intentioned and misguided ones. Okay. This brings us to the end of this episode of Reimagining Love. So in this episode... I validated the desire for closure. I offered you a way to reimagine closure as wholeness, not doneness. I made the case for why closure needs to come from you, not from your ex. I talked about how the way out is through, that closure comes from letting yourself grieve. I discussed the pain to pain transition. I talked about how you can create closure via firm and clear boundaries with your ex and how you can create closure via boundaries and asking for what you need from your family and your friends. I hope that you have found this episode helpful. We're going to pick it up next week talking about breakup regret. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, be well. Thank you for listening to our show. Our producer is Elizabeth Vogt. Our editors are Mary Chan and Danelle Cloutier of Organized Sound Productions. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Reimagining Love is executive produced by me, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.